new to your Bible, um, I hope that you turned to Isaiah chapter 52. Um, in my Bible, it's almost, almost, it's almost in the middle. Um, you hit the book of Psalms and you go right. Um, and you'll find Isaiah chapter 52. And um, that's the, that's the uh, passage of scripture that we're in this morning. And I just want to read it again because I think it's really powerful and I want you to hear it. So if you all just could really just focus in on these words. Um, and let's, let's let, let God's word, which is living and active and powerful, speak to us. It says this in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7 through 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, he, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the nations of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. What a great word from God, from our good God, who speaks to us through his word and through his creation. And it's to him that we go to this morning to receive the word of life. And I hope that this morning that is you, that you hear God's word and that it's powerful in your life and that it changes you because God loves you and he speaks to you. And this message is for you. For the, you know, for the past month, um, for the, excuse me, for the past few months or so, um, our, the pastors of our church, with, which are my, myself and Mark, who's in the back there, and um, um, Joe Marin, who's sitting right up in the front here, we've been work, working on refining what are the vision and values of our church, as some of you might know. Um, we put a lot of thought and prayer into these things. We've gotten a lot of feedback from some of our, like, uh, uh, core leaders in our team. Um, and we've gotten a lot of helpful information because these things are very important. Uh, vision and values are, are critically important, I think, to the life of a church because it points us to where we're going and um, how we're going to get there. What it, what's important to us? Why are we here? What, what is it that we're trying to accomplish and see happen? That, that question isn't always clear. Um, the vision of a church isn't always entirely clear. So this morning, I want to make it very clear why we exist, and you'll see it on the screen. Now, this is just a rough draft. Um, we're still sort of working on refining this, so I'm sure that this might change a bit, but basically it's this. At Refuge Church, we desire that our church, that's you and I, and our neighbors would know Jesus and find real life as we joyfully model grace and serve each other, sharing our lives and faith together. You see, that's, that's what we're all about. That's the vision that we have for our community, for our church, that we would know Christ and make him known. That's basically what that's saying, right? That we would know Christ and make him known. <clears throat> that's why our church exists. That's why Refuge Church exists. That's why our church is here. Now, I hopefully, I hopefully all gospel-preaching churches exist for the same reason, but simply stated, we exist so that our church and our neighbors would know Jesus and find real life. That's the life that they've always wanted, that they've always looked for, right? Um, our neighbors, that's people around this church and our community in Warren and Bristol. That's your neighbors wherever you live. 
our church's neighbors, your family, your friends, not just Warren, Rhode Island, but the people that you influence and interact with. You see, it's a nice idea, right, that we want people to find this life. It's the vision of the Bible. The Bible puts this vision out for us. But how? How are we going to see this happen? How are we actually going to see people around us that don't know, believe in Jesus, come to trust and follow him? You see, let me ask you a very simple, maybe even a more important question. Are you knowing and following Jesus? Are you getting your life from him? You see, friends, because Scripture puts out to the Christian that in order for me to make him known, I need to know him myself. You see, that's, that's really step number one, but we'll get to that more in a moment. Romans chapter 10, as Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You see, for anyone to ever believe the good news of Jesus Christ and get this life that we're speaking of, that our neighbors would find it, that we would have it, you see, the good news needs to be spoken of. That means something very elementary and very simple. I, you, need to tell others about Jesus Christ. We cannot be silent. I'm not saying that we should be rude or difficult or contentious, as I know sometimes we can be at times when we're handling the gospel, but we cannot be silent. They need a preacher. You see, when you, see, when you, you trip over the word preacher, you say, okay, we have one of those. That's you, buddy. That's what we pay you for, Right? But what Paul is saying here is not a preacher as in a pastor. They need someone, think about it like this. People who don't know Christ yet need someone that's in their life to tell them about him. About salvation in Christ, their greatest need. They need someone to publish peace, as as it said in Isaiah, in that scripture text that we just read. So that's my challenge to myself. That's my challenge to all of you that know Christ. To ask you to consider the question, are you publishing peace? Are you publishing peace? Are you proclaiming with words the gospel of Jesus Christ to your neighbors and friends? Do you have people in mind that you know, that you think about and pray for? You see, friends, because we're called, we're given life so that others can have it too. So the challenge to you all, to myself, is to remember that the vision to see wandering people come to faith in Jesus Christ is only accomplished when you and I actually speak and talk to them about who Jesus is and what he did. There's no way around it. And I know that's brave, isn't it? That's not easy. Because that we don't know how someone's going to take that message. What will they think of us? They might silently kind of nod, but now they think we're a weirdo, Right? Um, or, or maybe worse, they'll get mad at us. They won't want to be our friend anymore. They'll reject us as being a part of their lives. These are things that we, we get concerned about and oftentimes prevent us from actually letting people know about the good God that loves them. So I know that it's brave. It's risky. But friends, if we love, truly love our neighbors, we'll hold out to them the love of Christ. 
Christ, the only thing that can rescue them and give them the life that we refer to. So it's our vision to see our church and neighbors transformed into that real life that comes by faith in Christ, which they need to hear from preachers, people who tell them the good news. That's the law of the harvest. Now, I don't know much about farming. There's a couple people here, I think, that know a little more than me that you could talk to about that. I don't know much about farming, um, but I, I do know that if you want to harvest or if you want fruit, you need to prepare, right? You need to make things ready. Now, I might trip this up and, and muck this up a bit because I'm not a farmer, but you've got to till the grounds. You've got to make sure it's loose, right? You, you can't throw seed on hard cement-like soil. It's got to be ready. That soil's got to be ready. It's got to be prepared. Are there pollutants in the soil? Are there weeds in it? Right? You need to put that, not, not just good soil, but that seed needs to go in a place that has light and water so that it will grow. You need to ward off pests, right? That's why we put up scarecrows and all these different things to, to make sure birds and animals don't eat the fruit that we're trying to grow. And then if you can do all this and you pull, all, pull it all off, it's harvest time. And you start to pick the fruit that you work so hard at, pick, at, at growing and taking care of. Now, friends, the Bible is clear that when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's exactly the same thing. They are, they are a person, an individual person that needs to be cared for. There's a harvesting of souls that the Bible talks about. That if we want people to come to life, we need to sort of know what these things are so that we can be a kind of church that has loose soil and light and water so that it's ready to actually birth people into new life and faith in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So this morning I want to talk about that for a bit with you because it's our job as Christians to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be prepared for a harvest um, of souls, and we need to know what are the laws of the harvest so that we can be fruitful in our ministry. Amen? So these are the laws of the harvest that I can see here in Isaiah um, chapter 52. Was I in? Yeah, there, there it is. Isaiah chapter 52. These are the laws of the harvest that I can observe from our text of Scripture. The first is the law of the heart. And oh, is this important. The law of the heart. If anyone is ever going to receive Christ by faith and find this life, that we are referring to, the heart of the one speaking the message is very critical, almost as important as, as the message itself. The heart of the one speaking of him needs to be transformed. The preacher needs to have peace published on his heart. Not just speak the words of peace, but have it be something that's actually transformed the person. So a harvest of life requires, first, a heart that is pure. Now, go to our text again in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publish peace, who brings good news of happiness. They sing for joy. What are they doing? They're singing for joy. For eye to eye they see. And what are they looking at? The return of the Lord to Zion. You see, the preachers in this text are happy people. They have the joy of Christ. They are looking to the Lord who's coming for them. They have a song, and it's not Fergie Ferg, okay? One person knows who that is, all right? 
That's, it's, that's, their song is a song of redemption. It's of salvation. You see, friends, they have a, a, a song that makes their hearts happy. Oh, and friends, I want, I want to draw for you a picture of hearts that are pure before the Lord, and that's the reason why they're singing this song to begin with, right? These hearts see and they wait for the return of the Lord. Their hearts sing for joy. They're, when their feet touch something, it becomes beautiful, right? The, the, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. What they touch becomes beautiful. They bring joy with them because they have the joy of Christ. You see, their hearts are pure. And in 1 John chapter 3 in the New Testament, you know what we read, when you wait for the coming of the Lord, you'll purify yourself just as he is pure because you know he's coming. You're going to want to be like him. He's coming quickly. And you're getting yourself ready to meet the king, the bridegroom. And your heart has joy. It doesn't mean that you never fail. It doesn't mean that effective sharers of the good news of Christ don't have failures. Let me remind you of King David. You remember him in the Old Testament, the second king of Israel? Wonderful man, but sinned greatly. Did things that you and I never would dream of doing, right? Um, that if, if we found him, if we came across him, he were in our church, we'd probably kick him out. <laughs> we would church discipline him, right? Um, but, but King David, he sinned greatly, but you know what he did? He repented. He had a humble heart. He recognized what he, he wasn't perfect. He did, he did really bad stuff, crooked stuff, but he repented. He asked to be purified, and you actually can go to Psalm chapter 51 and chapter 32 and read all about his repentance and what happened. That's the song of his repentance in the book of Psalms in 32 and 51. So he repents, and he asks God, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. You remember that in Psalm chapter 51? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Almost sounds like what re we're reading about these preachers in Isaiah 52 who have a song on their lips because they've been forgiven and that Christ is, is rich and beautiful and brings their hearts joy. You see, these are the kinds of people. Peace was published in David's heart, and consequently, peace was published to his neighbor. And I'll prove it to you. Because in Psalm chapter 51 and verse 12, after he repents, after the, the, the joy of the Lord is restored to him, it reads, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will repent. You see, friends, God uses transformed lives to transform other people's lives. God brings you to himself, gives you forgiveness, not just to save you, but to save other people around you. Did you know that? He rescued you and gave you life so that you could give life to other people. So it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will come back. So a harvest of life requires first a heart that is pure, but second, that a heart that is purposed. You know why you exist. You know why God saved you. When your heart is purposed, you know why he gave you life, and that is to know him and to make him known. 
so that you can know him and make him known. The Lord has bared his holy arm, it says in Isaiah 52, before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. You see, friends, these preachers of peace in Isaiah 52 were preaching peace because they knew that it was God's will that the ends of the earth would come to life through the gospel preached. They were confident of it. So they had a heart that not only was pure, but it was purposed. It understood its vision and its mission. It recognized why the church exists and why the individual Christian exists in this world. And it's to cast seed. It's to draw in a greater harvest than yourself. You all got friends and family, I'm sure, that need life. And only Christ can give life. If you really believe that, share it with him, friends. Share it with them. Write their names down. Pray for them. Be intentional. Don't forget who they are and what they need and how important they are to God and why God saved you and gave you life. It's not just to simply sit down, warm a church chair, and every now and then read a psalm to make yourself feel good because you're stressed out at work. You see, God saved you for so much more than that. He gave you a vision and a mission of all the nations, your friends, families, neighbors, coming to faith in Christ, to know the life that you have. That's why he did it. It's a heart that's purposed. So do you see it, friend? Are you wrapped up in that vision and mission? David knew it because he said, now that I'm right with God, I'll teach sinners and they'll repent. He knew why he was right with God and what God wanted to do with him in his life. You see, friends, we don't all do it the same way. I know God has given some people gifts to teach, and I'm up here sharing the gospel because God's gifted me in that. He's, got, he's gifted you in other things. Use it. Use it for his glory to bring other people to faith in Christ, whatever it might be. God saved you to save someone else. Did you know that? He saved you to save someone else. And his will, his call, his purpose, his command to us is to be on the mission that he's on. Amen? Who's your someone else? Do you pray for them? Do you know their name? Have you given up? Because, oh, I've, I've told them already, you know, 10 years ago, and they got mad, so I just forgot them. Oh, don't give up. Don't give up, friends. Are you awake to your purpose? Because that's your purpose. That purpose needs to drive us, and it, re- it needs to replace all those tricky, distracting purposes that get in our way. Now, I'm not saying that if, if you have a great purpose and a vision for being a lawyer or fitness or whatever it might be, those things are all fine and great. And you should, God calls you to those things to be great at them and to give him glory in them. But he wants to use those things so that the light of the gospel, the good news of Christ, will shine on people that will never come here. See, he uses your gifts and your passions to bring others with similar gifts and passions to know Jesus. There's a biker church in Taunton. Do you know that? And all these bikers go to it. I don't know that I would be interested in that. That would be a little intimidating to me. But you know what? God saved them to reach a people that would never come and listen to me. They just wouldn't. And praise God for them. And God saved you for a reason. Because there are people that you can influence, I'll never touch them. And the people sitting behind you and in front of you, will never touch them. They need you. God made you for them. So pray. Pray to God. 
and have a passion, a heart of purity, a heart of purpose, and a heart of passion, number three. A harvest of life requires a heart of passion, deep, bleeding burden for the lost. Oh, friends, does your heart sing the salvation? You see what this person is doing in Isaiah? They're passionate. They're singing to God the salvation that he's provided. They're publishing it to people around them. They publish peace. They run up mountains with the good news of Christ. Oh, I, sometimes I don't even want to get out of my easy chair with the good news of Christ. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm three episodes in, shamefully, on some Netflix binge, and I've forgotten my purpose to get off my butt and to remember that God has given me a mission, people around me that only I can influence because he made me, he saved me for a purpose, and he saved you for a purpose. And it's so much bigger than that. Oh, remember it. Publish peace, speak good news, sing for joy, have eyes that look to the coming king, like these preachers in Isaiah 52. Oh, the bleeding passion, the optimism. They're not pessimistic. They're not disgruntled. Did you know that? Did you notice that? Let's read it again. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publish peace, who, who bring good news of happiness. Pessimistic, grumpy people don't bring good news. Right? Ah, oh, you know, these hoodlums. They, you know, they're all the same. Politicians. Right? Like, we're just grumpy, angry. How about this, though? Remember the power of God and what he can do. He publishes peace. He brings good news of happiness. They publish salvation. Instead of complaining about our politicians and being angry at them and hating them, publish peace for them in Jesus' name. Pray for their salvation. You see, friends, aren't, weren't we just as lost as they were? Right? Now, I know some of you say, oh, you know, my politician's already got it. And there's someone, someone on the side of you now, he's the devil. And I know, like, politics is like that, right? To, for one, he's the savior. For others, he's the devil. To rewind time four years ago, and, I, and those opinions flip-flop. Right? So we're all, we're all there. But whatever, wherever you may be, if I'm, I'm just encouraging you, if you tend to a pessimistic, grumpy sort of attitude towards the people around you, towards your neighbors and coworkers, towards kids, right? whatever it might be, would you publish peace, sing for joy for them? Break forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. Waste places. Wow. It's acknowledging that the things we complain about were sort of right because things are falling apart. So our grumpiness is kind of like we're observing reality at times, and that's why we're grumpy. But we're forgetting the Lord of the harvest. We're forgetting that God has made us to bring peace to them, to transform them. That's why he gave you the gospel, not to simply bicker with your window rolled up on your way home and complain about everything that's wrong with the world. Oh, I know I've been there. I've done it. I'm not trying to judge you. I've been there. I know what it's like. But oh, can we remember the good message, the passionate heart of people who want others to have life. You see, friends, that's life. So friend, if you're not passionate of, about Christ, can I, can I invite you to consider something? Now this is kind of, it seems like I'm saying two different things. If you're not passionate about Christ, you probably won't talk about him. Right? But if you don't talk about him, you'll probably never get passionate about him. Isn't that... Kind of head trippy, right? 
If you're not passionate about Jesus, you probably won't speak with him, of him. But if you don't speak of, of him, you'll never become passionate about him. You see, what I mean there is oftentimes, don't we do this? Like, I just don't feel it. There's something wrong with me spiritually. I'm not in a good place. So I just sort of need to sit in the back. Right? And that's what we say. And we don't talk about Christ to anybody. Now, I understand that there are seasons where we need some solitude and we need some change. I'm, I'm not suggesting otherwise. What I am saying, though, is do you realize that when we speak of Jesus, that's the medicine that brings you back. So sometimes we got to take our medicine. Sometimes we don't like it. We don't feel like it. But there's, there's power when you speak the words of the gospel to anyone, whether it be a child or an adult, a Christian or not, to tell them God loves you, died for your... When you do that, when those words come out of your mouth, and you speak, they sanctify you, they grow you, they make you like Christ, your gloom falls off. So friends, if you want passion, speak of Jesus. So number one, first law of the harvest is we need new hearts. We need a passionate heart, we need a prepared heart, and we need a pure heart. The second law of the harvest is depend on the Lord of the harvest. The second law of the harvest is to depend on the Lord of the harvest. Verse 10 in Isaiah 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of of our God. Who is saving? The Lord. Not me. You see, I'm just the vessel. I speak the words, but it's the Lord that saves. The Lord has bared his holy arm and all the ends of the earth shall see him, his salvation, and be saved. So what I'm saying here is that we rely on God, not our own human ingenuity, to bring those people that we love to life, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody comes to to faith without first hearing the message of the preacher, but no one's going to believe that message without God bearing his holy arm, wooing them to eternal life, rescuing them, giving them eyes to see. Does that make sense? He's the Lord of the harvest. And that means that we must pray. Even more so than prepare, we must pray. Praying is preparing. We must pray. If we think that people, our friends and family, will come to faith, our community will come to faith in Christ without praying, we are under a delusion. We can't trick people into coming to faith in Christ. We can't use our human ingenuity, our skill. Oh, my preacher's really awesome. He's got such a good, he's got such a good message. He's so charismatic. We need God. None of that matters. We need God to, to put fire on us. So we've got to pray for that. There's only one way to do that, and that's to pray for it. You see, friend, we need to start praying. Because he's the Lord of the harvest. He grants us the fruit. He gives us the growth, right? One man plants, another man waters. Who causes the growth? God. So why don't we pray? Do we really want our aunts and uncles, sisters, brothers, sons, dads to be saved? Neighbors, coworkers, do we really want that? Oh, because if we did, wouldn't we pray? Wouldn't we actually pray for them? Oh, I think that we would. I'd pray more if I understood the eternal consequence, the significance of the message that I preached and really got it and got a vision for it. I, you, you couldn't keep us off our knees. Oh, that we would be 
people of prayer. John Wesley once said, even they who have been converted to God without praying for it themselves were not converted without the prayers of others. Isn't that great? What he means by this is that God normally does not work his will in saving anyone without first working in it in you, the preacher, the will to ask him for the person to be saved that he already intends to save. Okay, wow, what? Let me say that again. People never come to, this is the simple way, people never come to faith in Christ without first being prayed for. God uses you to pray for them to save them. Why? Good question. Don't know. But he does. Everyone that gets saved is prayed for first. And you say, well, really? Is that true? Do you remember who's praying constantly night and day for us? The Holy Spirit. Christ, our mediator. So even if we don't, he will, and that's how people come to faith in Christ. Prayer. We need to pray, friends. When we ask him to save, he saves. Hosea chapter 6. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us pray, in other words. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he'll appear. And he'll come to us with what? Winter rains. Like the spring rains that water the earth. When we pray, the rain comes. And what does rain do to the earth? It gives it life. We ask the Lord of the harvest to save, and he'll do it. The Bible promises it. Oh, that we would pray. Bringing life to others is not something we can manipulate, orchestrate, or plan. It is God that convicts, that we learn in the Gospel of John. So we must pray to the Lord of the harvest. I heard someone say, prayer builds the altar, but God brings the fire. Prayer builds the altar, God brings the fire. The third law of the harvest is preparation, sowing seed. Let's look at this. Break forth in verse 9, together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. You see, friends, something had happened to Jerusalem, to Israel. They were in a waste place. They were being prepared to hear the good news of these preachers. And these preachers knew that these people were going through a time of a waste place. They were ready and they were prepared to speak the good news. God's people need to be ready, prepared to sow seed that will fall on good soil. It requires wisdom and preparation. You know that when you plant flower seeds and pumpkin seeds, you need to take care of them differently, I think right? Not all seeds are the same. They need certain amounts of light and sun and heat, or right? Like certain times a year, different plants grow differently. If you want those things to grow, you got to know the seed. And friends, if you want someone to be saved, if you want them to come to faith in Christ, you got to know the seed. You got to know who you're talking to. What's the cry of their heart? What are the the stories that they don't want to talk about with anybody? You see, friends, we need to be prepared. They have a waste place, and we need to be praying for them so that one day we'll be ready to hear the stories of their life and speak into them the good news of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? You see, friends, that's what these preachers were ready for. 
they knew Jerusalem had just gone through the shock of their lives and they were ready with the promise of God to rescue them. Isn't that awesome? Do you realize that that's why you're here? Your neighbor's next tragedy is the reason why you're their neighbor? That's why? God's put you there? God had prepared people to trust him as Lord and Savior through these waste places, through these trials. They needed the comfort of the Lord because they'd been bruised. How many people you know have been bruised? So these preachers, they knew their people. They knew them. They were intentional. That means they were building trust with them, having conversations with them, having fun with them, getting to know people, eating with sinners like Jesus did. So that one day... When they were needed, they could speak the good news of Christ and that person would trust them and hear them and believe the gospel. See, all of this is God's, God's mediation, God's will, God's providence. Are you ready for it? Do you realize that's who you are? That you're part of the team. Isn't that great? So let's all wake up. Let's be a part of it. There are people that for the past three years have come to one of our yard sales, a movie night, or trunk or treat, and they might come to it next year and then maybe in two years, they'll actually show up to church, right? Because this is the place they know, that someone prayed for them once, and they heard the gospel, but they're not ready yet, right? The, 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 the plant isn't kind of budding out of the ground. You see, it's the same thing with your friends and family that you think are hopeless. They're not. If God can give sight to a blind man and make a, a, a lame man walk, then he can save anybody. He can save anybody. Have you stopped believing that? Oh, I have some relatives, man. I know. No way. No way. They hate Christianity. All right? So th there's a part of me that's just like, nah, not them. I'll, I'll spend my time on someone else. <laughs> right? Don't stop believing, friend. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Okay? You have family members, coworkers, neighbors. Sow seed with them. Love them. Pray for them. Prepare the soil, right? So that's number three. Third law of the harvest, prepare. Number four is proclaim. This is the third law. So <clears throat> the published piece that we see in Isaiah chapter 52 is a word spoken. All of this preparation led them to this moment where they had an opportunity to share Christ. And they were ready to share it. And they shared it. You see, friends, for all of us, there comes a point. It's D-Day. It's time. And some of us have been working it up, and we're so terrified and afraid of it. And we think, oh, no, I need, I need a class. I need an evangelism. I can't share my faith until I have an evangelism class. Well, listen, friends, I know those are awesome, and we should do those. But what I'm saying to you is, if you know the gospel, you know how to evangelize. Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again so that I might have life. Testify. That's all you got to do. It's, it's not a trick. You see, friends, because who's the Lord of the harvest? You or God? It's God. Pray for them and share Christ. And that's it. You see, friends, proclaim peace. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He died for sinners like us. Right? To warn someone of their sin and separation from God requires that I speak these words to them. I can't be quiet about it. How will they believe if they do not hear? And how will they hear if they do not have a preacher? 
See? So I, I reject that old saying that we all love. Sorry. Preach the gospel wherever you go and if you have to use words. Have you heard this? And there's a part of me that loves it because I know how hypocritical we can be, right? We're, eat, we're, we're cranky, angry, we curse at people. Oh, and Jesus loves you, right? So I think what's the, what this is saying is preach the gospel with your life. Love people, and that's awesome. But, but what I've seen people do with it is use it as an excuse to never speak the words of life to anyone. They don't share Christ with anybody. The words never come out of their mouth. They say, well, I just, I, I live the words of Christ. Oh, friends, we um, are deceiving ourselves if we think we're obeying God's word. It's both. We need to live and speak the words of Christ. So we could say it like this. Preach the gospel wherever you go and also use words. <laughs> right? That's a little better. It's not as poetic, I know, but I think that's more realistic. It's always necessary for us to use words. Those words of need to be at the right time. They need to be gentle. But you must speak them. That Christ is the good news. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written. Oh, did, did you pick this up? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul's quote, in Romans 10, Paul is quoting Isaiah 52. The harvest of life in our families in our neighborhoods, requires that we're a church that speaks to others about their need to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is a non-negotiable. We need to share our faith. You gotta do it. I'm gonna, I could just kind of be boldly honest with you right now. I'm not good at this. I know people who are just gifted evangelists. They'll, they'll, you know, give the gospel to a fire hydrant, right? Like, they just share Jesus with everybody. I get, I'm just, it's my personality, I can, I can have the fear of man sometimes, you know that feeling? You know, like, so I tend to be intimidated, and I, I, I get sweaty, and what are they going to say? They're going to think I'm weird, right? Like, that kind of goes through my mind. I'm not, I'm not, like, a sup the super best example at this, but I know when I read scripture, there's no way around it. I got to do it, and I got to trust that God is going to save me, and help me, and protect me, and give me the words to say. Amen? But we need to speak the words of life to our family and to our neighbors and to our friends. We need to encourage each other to that end. Right? If you're good at it, like, like the ones of us that aren't, we need to kind of be your friend. We need to hang out with you because we'll get better. It's just true. Isn't that true? Right? So like, let's, let's um, remember these things. That the harvest comes when we speak the words of life. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times was sown. You see, when we do this, when we know the laws of the harvest, so our hearts are, are purified and prepared, right? Our hearts, and we're prepared, and we proclaim all the steps that I kind of listed for you. We get a harvest. God promises a crop. He doesn't promise how much the crop will be, right? Still, the soil, the, the other seed fell on good soil and produced a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. You see, we might be a thirty-crop church. Other churches might be a sixty-crop church. We might be that. Who knows? Right? There might be a two-hundred-crop church. That doesn't matter. Why? Because who's the Lord of the harvest? The Lord. He's the one that causes life 
in whatever measure he decides on any given place. So we're not going to complain or be insecure about whatever, whatever he provides for us because he's the one that gives it. But he will give it. He'll provide it. He doesn't say when it will come or how large it will be, but his vision, our vision, is that the life of Christ in us and in those around him, around us, and those who don't know him yet, they'll receive life. You know that the, the United States enjoyed, let me just kind of close with this, okay? The United States enjoyed um, in, in, its, in its history something called the Second Great Awakening. Have you heard of this? Has anyone heard of this? It was the First Great, great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. And there were other sorts of kind of mini awakenings. But these were times in, in American history when thousands and thousands of people all across our nation were coming to faith in Christ. They call it revival, right? So the first and second great awakening happened. The second one happened in the, like, the late 1800s. Um, I'm sorry, the, the late 1700s was the second great awakening. There was this pastor, Dr. Payson who was a pastor in Ringe, New Hampshire for 37 years during this time, late 1700s, early 1800s. And this is what it says about his ministry in a book I'm reading. It says this, during the first half of his ministry, so that's about 20 years, imagine this, 20 years in, he was relatively unblessed. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Right? He was relatively unblessed by showers of divine grace. And what, he, what they mean by showers of divine grace is like, like life in his church, people coming to faith in Jesus, right? Like fruit, harvest. So he was unblessed by showers of divine grace. They were unacquainted with revival. Dr. Payson held his way, and he faithfully declared the gospel. He didn't stop. And he was blessed in building up comparative, a comparatively spiritual church, but still small. And every now and then, it was enlarged by occasional additions from the world. Little trickles over the years. One person here, two people there. Right? These were some times of refreshing, but small. But the latter part of his ministry was far more successful and incredibly fruitful. Hundreds and hundreds, same guy, of people came to faith in Christ. First 20 years, a handful. Second 20 years, hundreds and hundreds. Imagine 20 years preaching the gospel, and then all of a sudden the floodgates open. Relatively small harvest, but he kept sowing seed. He kept tilling. He kept praying. He kept building the altar. And then one day God brought the fire. Do you believe it? One historian notes this about Dr. <clears throat> Payson and others. He says, the facts are indisputable. A considerable body of men for a long period before the Second Great Awakening preached the same message as they did during the revival, but with vastly different consequences. The same men, the same actions, right? So they didn't learn some new cool trick. Hey, change the chairs change the lighting, right? We, we need this funky ad. Then, then it'll come. They, they didn't do any of that, right? So same men, same actions, performed with the same abilities, yet the results were amazingly different. The conclusion has to be drawn that the change in the churches cannot be explained in terms of the means used, but that God was sovereignly pleased to bless human instrumentality in such a way that the, the success could be attributed to him alone. 
Isn't that great? We build the altar. God brings the fire. Where's your heart? You see, friends, they didn't learn some new preaching trick. It wasn't an advertising scheme. There wasn't an announcement of revival. They simply continued in faithful prayer and gospel proclamation and holy living. And God brought the fire. That's what he did. So what's the message to us? Friends, if we want to see the vision of God, to see life, real life, come to our neighbors and friends, we need to be faithful. We, we need to remember why we exist, and we need to honor the laws of, har of the harvest. Amen? We need to pray for our town, for our families, for our neighbors, for ourselves. We need to have uh, that pure purity of heart, like I mentioned, a dependence on the Lord of, Lord of the harvest, a preparation in knowing the people around us, and a faithful proclamation when God gives us a window to speak life to them. We need to build the altar, and he'll bring the fire. At Refuge Church, we desire that our church neighbors would know Jesus and find real life. I hope that you do too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you yet, that needs your fire on their life, hearts, again, that have an awakening of life, of purpose, of passion, I pray that you would bring that to them, that you would purify us, that we wouldn't live in sin, God, that we would be prepared and burdened for lost people. And God, that we would be ready to proclaim the good news of Christ. That we would have names that we're writing down and praying for and not forgetting. I pray, God, that you would save them. Christmas is coming. and So many people tend to come to church around November and December. I pray, God, that they would come and hear the good news and be changed. That the Bibles we passed out yesterday, that people would find their way to John chapter 3 and recognize that all they have to do is believe in Christ who died for their sins. Oh, friend, and if you don't know Christ, he died for your sins. The life that you're looking for is found in a reconciled relationship with God. You've been cut off with him because of sin. Come back to him. Trust that you don't have to pay for your sins yourself, but Jesus did it for you on the cross. That Jesus, God in the flesh, died for you, rose again so that you could have eternal life. Cry out to God, God, I'm a sinner, save me. I want to love you and follow you more than anything else. Oh, friends, if that's the faith that's in your heart, then you are saved. Follow Christ. God, I pray, Lord, for the rest of us now.